Welcome to No Life Till Lager. This is a show about lager beer, the brewers that make it, and we who drink it. This is a conversation between two people over one pint. My name is Adam Zuniga. I'm an advanced Cicerone. I'm part of the creative team behind the Six Most Metal Breweries and Beer Like and Das movie. Today, my guest is none other than Marcus Baskerville, director of brewing and operations, as well as co-owner at Weathered Souls Brewing Company in San Antonio, Texas, and now Charlotte, North Carolina. Cheers and welcome, Marcus. Cheers, sir. Thank you for having me today. It's an honor. Thank you for joining the No Life to Lager podcast. Yeah, it's an honor. It's going to be fun this evening. Before we get into it, uh, tell us about the beer at your side there. Yes, yeah, so I am currently drinking uh, Castling, our Swords beer. Uh, so this is actually probably one of my favorite beers that we produced um, a couple years ago, actually from Beerstat, uh, came down and gave us a little lager lesson. Um so implemented some of the things that we learned in some of the, the beers that we were already producing, but this was the original collaboration that we did. Um, so it's actually turned into a seasonal staple for us the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's low ABV, brewed um, with a little bit of chocolate rye. Uh, they kind of give it a little different aspect outside of just the general um, spectrum of the Swords beer, but a lot of chocolate, mild roast. Uh, super clean profile. It's one of my favorites that we typically uh, have. Yeah. You are also speaking to one of my absolute favorite styles of lager, Schwartz beer. And we had Ashley from Bierstadt Lager House on a previous episode. So all in good company here. Nice. Uh, I have a, a local lager, Happy Pills, because Pills makes us happy. This is from Hop Saint Brewing Company here in Torrance, California. So. Okay. Cheers to you, Marcus. I'll say thank you again. Cheers, sir. Yes, sir. So we know you in a couple different ways. First and foremost, obviously, from the Black is Beautiful initiative, the Imperial Stout collaboration that I think has to be one of the most successful and impactful collabs in modern craft beer history. Tell me if I have this correct. There's about 1,200 brews all 50 states, over 20 countries as of now. Is that right? So it's actually closer, a little over 1,500. Um, I think originally when we first started, there was about 330, 350 breweries that didn't get added to the website originally. But uh, so it didn't account for the actual timer. Or yeah, so it's closer to a little over 1,500. Uh, but yeah, all 50 states, multiple countries, all of that kind of stuff. Excellent. Truly epic. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit. There is such a great line on the Weathered Souls website about standing in the shadow of your fermenter after your beer is kegged and released out into the world. Just looking at Black is Beautiful now uh, that it is such a success. How does it make you feel? Um, it's definitely one of those things that I'm, <laughs> I'm very uh, overly critical of myself, I can say. Um, and so, yes, it's done some amazing things, right? Raised a ton of money. Um, but there's still so much work to be done, uh, especially just within craft beer within general. Um, we still look at the discrepancies in ownership, uh, the discrepancies in employment. Um, and even that goes for women as well. But then to look at the actual, like, national scale of things, 
and how little have things have changed. I mean, the police just killed somebody recently. Um, so looking at those type of things that are still going on, um, still a lot to do. Now, I do uh, appreciate some of the things that have come from it. Um, the appreciation people have shown for the amount of success that it's had. Uh, like my daughter's about two weeks ago had the honor of having a statue premiered um, in their honor based off of a conversation that I was having on the Black is Beautiful documentary that's going to premiere next month. But now my children have their own statue in the middle of uh, downtown San Antonio at Legacy Park. So to have those experiences, that's absolutely amazing. And like, you can't put those things into words because you would never expect um, something like that to happen. Uh, but for me, I'm also somebody that is literally never satisfied. And so it's been one of those things like, what's next, what's next, what's next, what else can I do? And so that's where the incubation program um, stemmed from with the Harriet Baskerville incubation program. But I mean, no, I mean, the amount of love and support that everybody's shown has been great. Uh, but really all it did was light a fire in the past to want to do more, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. My wife would say it's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, for me, I, the overall Black is Beautiful, it made me realize that it's not necessarily like a, a passion project for me, right? Like I never realized like I was going to get into social work, social justice work or uh, being the face of, um, other black brewers or being one of those leaders in that type of front. Um, but I more so realized that it's kind of a purpose, right? If I have the ability to make offsets and make changes within the industry that I'm in, then I definitely need to go ahead and take advantage of that and, and provide for those that, uh, look up to me. Here's to lighting the fire, Marcus. A very worthy cause, a very strong start. And as you said, and so many of the, the brewers on our show to date have said, you know, it's, it's okay to be, to be critical of yourself, to strive for perfection, um, so long as you're striving, so long as you are able to critique your work, you keep it moving forward. So here's to continued progress with Black is Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And I have to say here, we also know you in another way, and that is as air guitar champion on the brew deck, <laughs> rocking out to, uh, to, mas <laughs> to Master of Puppets Metallica uh, <laughs> as your Hellas Club, <laughs> as your <laughs> Hellas Fire Club lager, I believe, was being brewed or canned. Um, so I just have to ask, are you a Metallica fan? Are you a Stranger Things fan? Are you both? Tell us. I am more of a Stranger Things fan. Um, I So a lot of my employees listen to metal, listen to rock, listen to like old 80s, 70s, 90s uh, metal and stuff like that. That's never really been anything that I've really gotten into in my like growth or youth. Now, I'm very eclectic when it comes to music, but for me, that's not typically something that I get into. But I'm very much so into, I'm a comic nerd and like into that type of thing. And so I'm very much into Stranger Things. And that scene was just such a epic scene for me. And mind you, I was very familiar with the song already. Um, but it just put it that much in perspective for me. And so when we did the release, I was like, oh, we got to do a fun little video and just have some fun with it. Uh, so. 
typically, you know, I'm, I'm such a dry person uh, around my staff. They don't get to see me have too much fun like that. Um, and so we decided to do something fun for the for the week. Good stuff, Marcus. Air guitar champion. <laughs> I send the same 10 questions to everyone, again, just as a starting point for these conversations we have. Yeah. I want to talk to, to brewers as people, to brewers as humans, to get to know the identity and the personality behind these beers. So when I talk about hobbies, air guitar is one of the first that comes to mind. And I will say you are a natural man. So even if you weren't a Metallica, <laughs> even if you weren't a Metallica fan before, I bet they're a fan of yours now. Somebody should tag yeah. them in. It was fun. Yeah. So Marcus, let's get into it. Um, I want to hear more about you and your story. Tell us who is Marcus Baskerville outside of brewing, outside of the brewery. Who are you? <laughs> um, first and foremost, I'm a girl dad. Um, I have two daughters, a six-year-old and a three-year-old who take a majority of my attention and time outside of the beer world. So if I'm not at the brewery, if I'm not traveling, I'm typically with them. Um, my oldest, Niara, uh, is very much like her father, uh, super determined, can't tell her anything, um, super smart, like straight A. So we, we talk about A's, right? She's six years old, so she's in kindergarten, but she goes to like one of those advanced like charter schools. And so they're full on grade system, classes, um, subjects, all of that type of stuff. So she's doing very well. Uh, within that academy so very first yeah very first more uh being a girl dad um outside of that again yeah i'm very somebody that's very determined um kind of a dry personality uh if sorts um very no nonsense uh very direct um i've always been a super blunt individual um you know i I tend to not uh, hold back in typical conversation. I'm one of those people that believe in being good to people. Um, I'm a heavy believer in karma and uh, speaking things into existence. Uh, that's one of the biggest yeah. things for me is definitely speaking things into existence. If you believe in the things that you're going to do in life, if you believe in the things that quality, good things that are going to happen to you, and you speak those things into the universe, you speak those things with energy, then they will absolutely come true. And I can say that I'm very much the testament to that in a lot of things that I've talked about over the course of the years. And like uh, some of my friends could tell you, like even dealing with the recent James Beard nomination, that was something that I spoke into the universe that I said was going to happen at some point. And so um, definitely nice. one of those people that believe into the universe, believe in uh, exuberating positive energy and that type of positive things will come back to you. You have inspired me, my friend. Um, and then when it comes to beer, just was there, was there a moment, was there an epiphany that, uh, that led you into brewing, um, first as a fan, then as a home brewer, then as to a professional? Um, how did you get into beer and brewing? Yeah, I think there's a couple instances as far as what made me want to get into beer was one thing, and then what made me get into brewing was another. Um, what made me get into beer was more of the camaraderie and friendship uh, that me and my brother had. Uh, so me and my brother have always been close, uh, but we're seven years apart. So age-wise, we're not that close. Uh, but my brother, you know, when I turned 21, was the person that took me to Vegas, like the person I've had my first drink with, 
He was the first person that let me drive a car. You know, all of these different things. Uh, I used to have house parties. He wouldn't tell the parents. You know, that type of stuff. We've always had a very close relationship. So after the course of turning 21, my brother had got into beer with uh, one of my other relatives and then some friends from Southern California. And um, I was never really much of a beer fan. I was more into uh, spirits, dark liquor, that type of stuff. Never really got too much into beer. Um, matter of fact, my friends knew me as being very much anti-beer. Oh. Um, but one of the things that got me into beer was hanging out with my brother and my cousin. And we started visiting this place called Pete's Pizza uh, that was up in Roseville, California. And we used to drink a lot of their beers and to find out later that they were contract brewed by Firestone. Uh, but really getting into the, like the brown ale or red ale back then, uh, some of the more maltier beverages. Um, but what got us into the initial state of brewing was my sister had bought my brother a Mr. Beer Kit. And the beer came out horrible. But one of the things that we always talked about was when we would go to breweries, the lack of people that look like us within these breweries. But then also on the brew floor. I never outside of uh, Garrett Oliver, Mufasa, and Drew Fox from 18th Street had never heard of a, like another black brewer. And obviously, non three of them were in California. So being said that, we had never been around any type of anybody that resembled us that crafted beer. Um, so my brother did a Mr. Beer kit. Beer came out horrible. And being the competitive nature that we have, it was one of those things like, well, I could brew a better beer than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually got into beer together at that point. Uh, we didn't do any kits. We went all grain, constructed our own recipe. Uh, Zach Frazier from Slice Brewing used to be at a homebrew store back then. And we used to go and ask him questions about water profiles and uh, hops and that type of stuff before he got into professional brewing. Um, and then one of the other people that we used to really uh, dive into was uh, Mike Moraz of Moraz Brewing Company in Overwater Hills. So Moraz had did a beer called uh, Brothers of Beer, which was the name of the beer club that we had associated with promoting more um, ethnicity, more diversity within beer. And so he did a black IPA called Brothers and Beer let us come participate in the brew day and that type of stuff. Um, one of the times I was hanging out with him, uh, Tim from Sante Adaris came down. And just that experience of hanging out with them, uh, having a few beers and talking about their love and passion for beer was one of the things that really drove me into wanting to brew more. Um, so once I moved to, to Texas, um, you know, I was out here by myself, really didn't know anybody, didn't have anything to do, and so invested more into my brewing equipment and decided to kind of engage in that more. Um, almost stopped brewing because I wasn't making that great a beer. And then the catalyst point was 2013. 2013, I heard Annie Johnson uh, talk about winning the home brewer of the year. So first black person to win. Um, also dealing with from Sacramento. And all of that fun stuff. So seeing somebody that looks exactly like me from the same place that I grew up, having reached the epitome of beer, drove me to realize, like, I could do this too. And that's when I actually made my first get beer, which was a robust robust porter uh, that we currently still have on draft today. Um, Nice. But yeah, for me, it was those moments of realization, um, getting into things with my brother, um, hanging out with other professional brewers and seeing their passion. And then, you know, seeing somebody that actually reached that upper goal, that upper echelon of beer and 
realizing that was something that if I actually took the time to get into that, I could actually do that too. Um, kind of is what drove me and, and propelled me to want to be better in beer. I love. And then when I moved to Texas, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love that these questions keep leading back to your family. I mean, it's, it's clearly important to you, but you're clearly a good brother, a good father, a good man. And I think that's why people want to keep talking to you, Marcus. Um, but not to interrupt you, I, I hear that the, your story starts from Northern California and leads you to Texas. And I'm, I'm glad that Firestone was a part of that. And I want to hear what happened, what you got to Texas. But I am just really curious, kind of growing up, uh, starting the Brothers and Beer Club, just how important do you think it is that you know, we see people that we can relate to, that we can recognize in whatever our profession is, in whatever our dream is. So if that is uh, not just like in a in a brewery tap room, but actually working the brew house, working on the floor in the brewery, how important is that to you, to anyone that you think is young and developing in any given field? Um, I think representation important. Um, you know, you don't want to box people in a bubble, but even then, you look at um, when you have representation, when you have diversity, when you have inclusion within your businesses, businesses do better. That's a, a known proven fact. Yeah. Uh, you create more culture, you create more uh, diverse aspects of your products, business, and different things like that. And so obviously it's important for any field, uh, but specifically for beer, I think it's important because it's never been one of those things that have been marketed to us. It's never been one of those things that have really been sold to us, but it's very much part of black history. Um, you look at, you know, going back to the Egyptian days, going back to um, Africa before slavery, going back to the slave trade. Who taught them how to brew beer? Um, you know, going even into distilling. Who taught them how to distill? Most of these trains translate back to black and African history. And so yeah. to have these things kind of dwindle out of our history as the ages go, because, you know, a, a different uh, demographic has picked it up and have lived with it doesn't mean that we're not able to be fully engaged, fully um, viable in that particular field. Um, and so for me, like I found out that my grandma used to brew and distill back in the prohibition. Her grandpa used to distill. Her father used to brew and distill. And so that's something that's literally have been part of my like family history since before the slave trade. My grandma is 94 years old. So wow. you look at those type of aspects in my family. I know that to be true, that there is a lineage of what beer is, what beverages are. And so for me, it's become even more important because not only do I feel that representation is important in the industry that I'm in, but even before I was in the industry, I felt like representation was important because I loved beer. I loved what it was about. I loved the camaraderie of beer. But you never really seen too many people that look like me associated with beer at the time. Uh, so that's why the whole Brothers and Beer thing was created. Uh, we used to have sweatshirts, uh, hashtags, all of that fun stuff. But then when I got more into the professional spectrum of trying to grow and trying to grow within professional beer, um, it kind of took an offset. But, you know, that thing has always transitioned in the way that I've talked about our brand and the way that I've carried myself. You know, people always ask the question, oh, well, how is it to be black and beer? 
And it's like, well, I've been black every day of my life and I treat myself as a black man every day of my life. So being said that, you know, it very much translates in everything that I do beer wise. It translates into the labels, translates into the names, it translates into the fact that I was prepping barrels earlier. And, you know, I'm listening to Wu-Tang as I'm prepping barrels because I'm in my creative state. And so just having those type of opportunities um, have definitely contributed to the things that have kind of propelled me um, within beer itself. These all, you know, represent you as a human, as a human being, as a human doing. And you're right that this is a history that is not commonly told. And a lot of like the ancient origins of history, I don't think there's necessarily like agreed upon dates and times and when and how and all that good stuff but it's never really discussed who would have been actually brewing who would have been actually making the beer in this instant in this moment it's something i haven't given a lot of thought to and i honestly don't have the answer for and you're absolutely right that it's not a history that is commonly taught who was making the beer who's responsible for the ancient origins of beer and under what circumstances yeah yeah and to flash fast forward to modern history, we just have to take a moment to give a shout to Garrett Oliver. He's always been an inspiration. Uh, the man single-handedly helped me pass my Cicerone exam because he basically wrote the book. Nice. He wrote the book on beer and he wrote the book on beer and food. Um, so that's the Brewmaster's Table and of course the Oxford Companion to Beer. So shout out to Garrett yeah. Oliver. Um, let's Let's carry on. So once you got to Texas, uh, what happened that continued down this path to beer, to brewing, and ultimately to Weathered Souls? Yeah, um, so what ended up happening at that point, we started brewing some good beer, uh, bringing it around town, letting people try it, that type of stuff. And I grew a name for myself as a home brewer. And so a local um, bar let me host a tap takeover, and I had four beers on tap and all four of those beers tapped out in the matter of a couple hours. So you're pretty excited about yourself, right? You just tapped out of four beers in a couple hours or homebrewer, that type of stuff. Things are pretty getting pretty excited. Um, So continuing to bring beer around and that type of stuff. And then ended up uh, a local brewery, Busted Sandal, a local brewery here in San Antonio. Let me do the same thing. And they had a a homebrewer feature night. And I had three beers on tap. All three of those beers ended up tapping out that night. Well, shortly after, they ended up offering me a a job. So, mind you, I'm working as a full-time manager for Citibank doing fraud detection. So, I'm working from there from 3 o'clock in the morning to 11.30. And then I'm going to work at Busted Sandal from noon uh to about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Whoa. Uh, So, I did that for did that for an entire year so i ended up quitting and that's when i met mike uh my current business partner with weather souls mike was actually invested in busted sandal at the time and me and mike used to go out have beers and stuff like that and one day i asked him i said mike when are we gonna open a brewery and he's i've been waiting for you to ask me that and he ended up he ended up uh you know i think eight days later we started building that business plan and then about Nine months after that, we ended up opening. Um, but it was one of those things that uh, once I reached the point of knowing that the quality of beer that I was making was good, people were excited about it, was kind of the point to where I decided that I wanted to be a professional brewer. Um, yeah. Because you know that 
there's not a lot of money that's in brewing. And people will tell you that from the jump. So it was like a lot of people got excited about opening breweries because they thought, oh, there's this whole brewery boom. You know, we're going to get bought out or this or that or this or that. I got into brewing out of the pure passion of, of being able to create beers, being able to create products, uh, implementing flavors. And it's that creation point, right? I'm able to take these four ingredients and even more when I want to start getting into the fun agile stuff. But being able to take four ingredients and mold them into things that people enjoy, things that people are passionate about, things that people, you know, uh, message you and contact you and just overall love, you know, that's the, the things that I've grown to care about when it comes to beer. And so just being able to have that manipulation at my hands to be able to do those things are kind of like what made me passionate about wanting to be on that professional level. The magic of four simple ingredients and so much of that magic is what happens in the brewer's hands. We know now that clearly, um, you know, this is in your history. This is in your family. This is in your blood. And it all led to weathered souls in this moment. Can you tell us more about the brewery itself with your partner there? Who is Weathered Souls Brewing Company? Yeah. Um, the Weathered Souls is interesting because... It's very much two entities, I think. Um, you have the beer side of things, which I control 100%. Um, and so you see very much my influence in that, uh, dealing with the labels, the beers we create, the artwork, um, the naming, you know, just that overall vibe of what we've created. Uh, but then you have very much my business partner's uh, influence when it comes to the vibe of the tap room. Um, the overall business sense and things like that uh, translates more into the social media front and that type of stuff. Uh, so I would definitely say that it's very much two different entities. Uh, we tried to come up with a name. I think that was the longest thing that took out of everything uh, was coming up with a name for the business. And we had tried hiring a private firm and uh, doing uh, naming parties and all of these things. And then uh, we decided on weather tools, and it was for two reasons. Uh, Mike liked the weathered aspect into relation of his uh, father and grandfather. And then uh, moving through the course of time, businesses and things like that, and being that weathered spirit. Uh, the souls aspect yeah. came dealing with uh, Mike's love for how ships uh, classify you as souls and not bodies, persons, or anything like that. Uh, kind of makes it more intimate when you're on that ship vibe. For me, the Weather Souls name resonated because of the different aspects of what I've done like in life. Again, I used to be somebody that wasn't even into beer. And so to see those transitions and level of where I came from, from hanging out with the homies in the hood spot to working for banks to being a fraud manager for Citibank to, you know, uh, being a co-owner and producing amazing beers. Um, I never really foreseen that within in my future when I go back to looking at myself, you know, 15 years ago or so. And so that's where that weathered soul aspect for me kind of lies in. I see. For me, I'm more of the individual, like, I want to play Jay-Z and Wu-Tang and Jobs all day. My business partner, you know, wants more of the eclectic music for the overall. Um, so it's just uh, one of those things that we're growing um, as a business and learning more about each other as we continue to grow because 
you know, we both have the same goals as we want the brand to be successful. Um, he's very much open the brand to me to be successful in the sense that I'm able to create and do the things that I want to in that sense. But again, you know, yeah. at this point, I have a specific vision for the way that I want the tap room. I have a specific vision for the direction of the brewery and the way that I want to move forward and, you know, um, building a more synergy of cocktails. I want to learn how to distill and implement that at some point. And uh, nice. my, one of my other things that I've spoken to the universe is I want to become a master blender. Uh, so once I'm done with beer, oh. I want to get in, I want to get into the, the blending aspect and become a world renowned, you know, whiskey bourbon blender. Um, so that's something that I want to do as well. Um, so there's so many different aspects of the business, yeah, which we want to grow in. Uh, but right now we're very much a vibe of the unison of both of our mindsets. Um, you know, I control more of that kind of beer, uh, quality control of the products, uh, that type of thing. Personnel is the both of us. Uh, tap room is more his vibe and, and things like that. Uh, but as we continue to grow, uh, we learn more about each other. We develop new ways of working together and that type of stuff. Um, but for me, okay. I want uh, the Charlotte location definitely to be more of a vibe, be more culturally appropriate, uh, you know, have that type of situation for it. And then San Antonio gradually kind of grow into that same sense. Um, so as we continue to develop, uh, if we continue to grow as a brand, we'll see how we move forward. Uh, but definitely, um, there's definitely two sides to Weathered Souls currently, but it's worked for us so far. Sure. And so, you know, it is what it is. Well, there is always spirited debate when it comes to taste in music, but I'm really glad you're able to explore both your identities in both the San Antonio and, uh, the Charlotte location. And I have no doubt now that you've said it put it out into the world that a master distiller is in the cards down the road in your future master blender. Um, and I have to say, I'm from Dallas, Fort Worth in that area. Originally, there was not a lot of craft beer when I left no. there as an angry teenager. So <laughs> I am, I am just curious, kind of the state of craft beer in Texas now, specifically in, in San Antonio. Um, you know, we've touched about we touched upon all of this a little bit, just talking about black is beautiful and everything else, but maybe tell us a little bit just about how, how weathered souls is different. What makes you different within the San Antonio community, within the Texas beer market and within beer at large for that matter? Yeah. Um, well, San Antonio is definitely growing in a sense, as far as the beer scene here. I remember when I first moved here, I think there were six or seven breweries. So we're upwards in the mid twenties, almost 30 now. Um, so things are definitely growing here, um, within that sense. Um, Texas at large is definitely growing. Uh, we're starting to see a few different minority black owned breweries open within the next few months. Um, Houston, Dallas is definitely growing within that sense. Um, for us, what sets us apart, uh, San Antonio wise, uh, is definitely the products that we produce. Um, so dealing with San Antonio in general, you know, we were the first brewery to produce a hazy IPA. We were one of the first breweries in Texas to produce hazy IPAs. Uh, we were one of the first breweries in, or actually the first brewery in Texas to produce heavily fruited sours. We were the first brewery to produce, you know, high gravity, uh, high body viscosity stouts. 
um, you know, nice. adjunct stouts. I mean, you have Freetail producing La Marurka, but I mean, you know, it's a, a smoke stout. Um, and so you look at some of the things that we brought to the table. First, one of the first breweries and probably the first brewery in Texas outside of Pint House to produce a real West Coast IPA. Um, you know, the IPAs in general in, in the state of Texas at that time, seven years ago, used to be multi messes outside of Yellow Rose. Um, and so you look at those type of things that, uh, we were able to get in the front lines of and develop well ahead before they became popular here. Um, so San Antonio was set us apart. I definitely think is, um, nobody can produce stouts like we can, you know, we're one of the, yeah. I mean, based off of what people say anyway, you know, we're one of the top stout producers in the country. And so to be able to create these products, to be able to utilize certain ingredients and the quality. I mean, this goes nationwide. I mean, you look at a lot of breweries, use extracts and different things to produce their beers. Um, one of the things that we provide or pride ourselves on is the quality of stock products that we produce with the quality of the ingredients that we use. And we're sourcing real ingredients. Um, one of the things I just talked about at Doom Forge recently was dealing with our stout productions and, and some of the way that we source ingredients. And for instance, you know, dealing with, uh, we had two coffee stouts that went on tap recently, uh, Rwanda French Press, which is a coffee and hazelnut stout. And then we had kicked out the Waffle House, which is like a coffee, maple syrup, vanilla, uh, cacao nibs. Uh, but it was supposed to remind you of, you know, uh, being at Waffle House. Oof. But just the, the difference of levels of the usage of coffee and how you can utilize coffee to make a balance between other sweeter ingredients, right? So with coffee used and kicked out of the Waffle House, it was to bring together all the sweeter ingredients to create that effect without the beer being overly sweet. Uh, but bl- blending those ingredients together versus Rwanda French Press, which is a more coffee forward beer and then the rwanda's i mean not the rwanda the hazelnut is on the back end to kind of bring that coffee forward and so having those two separate aspects but both having coffee and just the general play of how you can physically utilize those within beer or when we want to get into vanilla for instance and we want more of the fluffy marshmallow sweet type of character of vanilla then i'm going to choose more of that madagascar variety the indonesian variety but when I want to get into more of the earthy, um, more grounded vanilla, I'm going to use more of that Mexican variety. So there's a lot of madness that actually goes into the selections of the products that we select for these beers. And we don't always talk about them, right? Yeah. Social media doesn't always talk about them. I don't always talk about them. And then the general customer is not going to know the difference. But there's so much passion and work that physically goes into some of the stouts and even other ingredients that we produce. Rwanda French Press literally has one of the top one, two percent of uh, some of the highest rated coffee in the world right now. But, you know, that's not something that I typically always highlight. But it's, a you know, something that I very much have pride in that I'm utilizing some of the best coffee that I can get my hands on to produce for this beer. And then, you know, translating that to our customers. And so for us being able to do that here. Uh, for us building certain relationships, long road coffee, moisture coffee, uh, sourcing certain ingredients from vanillas, um, you know, uh, working with, uh, different, uh, countries for cacao nibs, uh, you know, when we want to get into nibs and the qualities of chocolate, you know, using certain different origins or regions of cacao nibs are going to bring different chocolate flavors. 
when we want to just use cacao husks, for instance, uh, instead of the actual nib, because cacao husks provide more of a milk chocolate vibe. You know, these are all madness and, and reasons to all of the different type of standards of ingredients that we use, the way that they're processed, the way that they're utilized within the beer. Are we going to just drop them directly in the tank? Am I going to recirculate them through the hot back for a few days? All of these go into the, the quality and contribution of the beers that we produce. And I would say that's definitely one of the things that set ourselves apart is our passion and love for the quality of beers that we produce, but then also the work that goes into sourcing those ingredients, the work that goes into processing those ingredients. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always preached to my staff is the fact that you can create beer, right? But we want to create experiences. Yeah. When we talk about, hey, you have a brownie stout and it has brownie batter because we get that we get that whole vibe. Well, all they do is throw brownie batter into oh. beer. Yes, we do throw brownie batter into beer. But if I'm throwing brownie batter into beer, it's because I'm creating something where that brownie contributes to that overall flavor process, right? Yeah. You're going to get the brownie. You're going to get the walnut. You're going to get the marshmallow. You're going to get the chocolate. Now, that's one of my favorite desserts in the whole entire world. Yeah. So now you get to experience that particular dessert. And it's great that you're so hands-on with these individual <laughs> ingredients. I I think so many of my issues with what's happening in beer now, in Hazy IPA, in Pastry Stout, it is the quality of the ingredients or the lack of quality. Like the mess of ingredients that are being thrown into the brew exactly. kettle to see what will come out. I wish your sours, your stouts your robust porters. I wish I could try them all side by side. I don't think I even had a beer, like not even a Shinerbach before the time I left Texas. It's a very distant memory. <laughs> I think I remember like, um, remember the Alamo. I know I saw it as a kid and then down to Corpus Christi for, uh -huh. for my first view of the ocean and the beach. But this was all a long time ago in a land far, far away. So you're, you're giving me every reason to come to come home, I guess, for lack of a better term. So Marcus, that's incredible. Yeah, you gotta come visit. For being such um so for being so known and so closely associated with stout, can you tell us more about your approach to loggers? Yes. Um so I'm very traditional in the sense about our loggers. Um we started off with originally a Mexican lager. Obviously, we're in San Antonio. Uh, we wanted something to uh, compete with Dos Equis, uh, because this is the Dos Equis capital of the world. I bet. Um, so we wanted something to directly, we wanted something to directly compete with them. Uh, so that was actually a corn adjunct lager, uh, kind of that Vienna lager base that we created. Uh, but it was what made us popular within the San Antonio scene. Uh, this particular beer was the reason why our distributor picked us up because we were stealing so many of their Dos Equis taps. Um, so being said that, um, that was one of the things that really got us into loggers. Uh, we've had Hardwood Classic, which was our Pilsner. Now, once Ashley came to visit, I realized that although we were making some decent loggers, like I could definitely step my game up. Um, and then also who was a big contributor was, uh, Chris Johnson from, from Green Bench. Uh, he provided me with some, some information dealing with the cautions. Uh, so now for us, we do a three-step decoction, uh, for all of our loggers. Um, so starting at 131, going through that, bumping it up, uh, hitting the 140s, uh, then hitting the 150s, decocting over, 
uh, bringing that to about 168 ish before we go ahead and start our sparge process. Uh, we're doing the kind of low and slow fermentation now. Um, so we ferment all of our loggers around that 48, 49 degree range um, and let it logger out. Typically, those take anywhere from six to eight weeks now. Uh, we don't do a diacetyl rest, actually. Um, so it's one of those things where we let it sit long enough where diacetyl ends up uh, dissipating on its own instead of bumping the temperature up um, and running that process. And then typically, we cake it off and then let our loggers um, typically sit in the cooler another three to four weeks before releasing uh, just to give it some extra time. Low and slow. Yeah, so we do have some horizontal logger tanks that we do utilize. Uh, so typically, because we produce larger batches of Hardwood Classic, which is our Pilsner, uh, so we actually carry about 180 barrels to, yeah, about 180 barrels of that uh, in tanks currently, uh, between tanks and package, uh, because that's one of our more popular beers that we distribute um, in retail format, and then it's also in the AT&T Center. Uh, during the spurs season and stuff like that so we produce quite a bit of that um but then for some of our smaller batches uh like our hellas um our swords beer um going into stuff like that that's typically going into our horizontals um so for us we can have anywhere typically between three to four loggers on tap um normally it's hard with classic which is our german pilsner um our hellas uh, the Swords beer, and then the uh, Dolly Crown, which is our Mexican lager. Uh, so we typically have those four on, and then anything that cycle through, uh, we produce an amazing uh, high ABV, like nine and a half. Well, actually, it's a 10% Doppelbach um, that we produce during the fall holiday season um, and some, you know, Oktoberfest during the October, September season and some other little fun stuff. Um, so I think the most we've ever had on, I think we're eight loggers at one time. Um, and so it's Ooh. kind of more so, yeah, in the mood that I'm in as far as what we're able to produce, what we can get out. Um, but definitely as far as the process goes, uh, those decoctions, step matches, um, and then the lowest low vibe for our fermentation has definitely been successful for us as far as the loggers that we're producing. First of all, good on you on taking some some of that Dos Equis market share there in San Antonio. I think they had it coming. Right. <laughs> Very yeah. much so. Yeah. And then do you have a favorite lager style to brew, a favorite to drink? I know that we started part of this conversation about your your Hellas Fire Club, the Oak Age Hellas. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the Oak Aging process as well. Yeah. Um, so my favorite beer of ours to drink is our Oak Age Hellas along with Castling, our, our Swords beer. My favorite lager outside of that to drink is actually a Kolsch. But we don't produce Kolsch here, and it's for a specific reason. It's because, for me, I want to go to Cologne and learn how to brew a traditional Kolsch where Kolsches were created. Because yeah. that is my favorite style of beer. That is my favorite lager. That is my favorite thing to drink if it's done correctly. And so I want to learn how to do it correctly before I go ahead and try to produce something here. Um, so as yeah. a home brewer, I had a Kolsch hybrid that I used to brew as a home brewer, but I wouldn't dare brew it here. 
Um, and so for me, my bucket, one of the bucket list things that I want to do is go to Cologne and learn how to brew a traditional coach. Um, as far as the oak uh, aging that we've been doing, we've done it with the Coors beer. We've done it with the Hellas. Um, it was something to add another aspect to our beer. Uh, you know, I have we've grown to have that popularity of dealing with our barrel-aged stouts and other barrel-aged beers. That I thought it was probably a natural progression to our lagers as well, um, trying to add another dimension with them without trying to take away from the overall essence, the overall traditional aspect of them but just giving another dimension to them so for us we were using uh reposted um neutral oak barrels so not really going to impart any type of spirit vibe to them uh letting them sit in the barrels only for about anywhere from six to eight weeks reason being was i didn't want oak bombs so obviously just another nuance uh to highlight those particular flavors that you get within that beer uh, so dealing with the hell is adding that kind of woodsy, earthy vibe uh, from the oak tannins. Uh, same thing uh, dealing with the sports beer. That oak kind of cut some of the um, the roasted malt character that you get within that sports beer and kind of softened it up a little bit. And so just having those yeah. little slight nuances in the flavor and the characters of those beers uh, was definitely something that I enjoyed. So it was something that we kind of wanted to implement to our programs here. Now that you've said it and put out, out into the world, I hope I can join you on that trip to Cologne. Because you're right, something I think gets lost with Kolsch in transit um, from here to there from the stores. And of course, like it can be an ale or a lager produced with either yeast, so as long as it's lagered over yep. time. I would love to try it at the source. And I guess I have to ask you above all, I think it's even more relevant here, even more meaningful because Weathered Souls is uh, so highly associated with, with stout, and with bigger beers, especially from a time that like Texas didn't really have that much available, uh, why does lager matter? Like, why do you take the time to produce lager beer? Why do you give it the resources? Why do you give it the love, care, and focus that you do your other brews? Um, I think because dealing with lagers, they showcase what a brewer really can do. Um, it's fun brewing the styles. It's fun doing the barrel stuff. But when it comes to lagers, there's no way to hide those flaws. There's no way to hide those issues. There's no way to hide those brewer mistakes. To me, lagers are kind of the, the, the beer as a brewer that used the flaunt with, right? This is, you know, a highlight of our brewing skills to be able to produce these clean, you know, uh, flavorful beers that people enjoy, making sure that it has the head retention that it's supposed to have. We don't filter, so making sure that it has the clarity that you know it has without filtering you know that goes to the quality of our fermentation program you know different things like that uh so for me it's one of those things where you can kind of just flaunt your skills as a brewer you can kind of flaunt yourself um as your brewing practices are correct because there's no way to hide those flaws within beer uh for the consumer aspect i think it goes more into the transitions of um understanding where beer has came from understanding the traditions of beer um you know there was that time where everybody wanted the super hopped up ipas wanted the super you know um, high abv stouts and pastry stouts and all of that fun stuff and it kind of took away from you know the quality of product um a lot of those type of beers you could have just added you know, as much hops as you wanted to add 
some of the pastry stouts, you know, or sweet messes. And okay, we're just going to throw a whole bunch of these ingredients in to mask up this or mask up that. Um, and so yeah. looking at that, you can't do that with lagers. And so I think as a consumer, you should always understand where beer kind of generally came from, but then also how it has progressed over the course of time and has certain styles stand the test of time and you being able to enjoy those particular flavors that you get within those traditional styles of beer. Um, and so, yeah, that would be kind of the importance of lager for me. I hear what you're saying, that lager, it's a representation of who we are, a clear representation, and there's nothing to hide behind. Yeah. Exactly. I don't suppose there's any chance, I don't suppose there's any chance that we could convince you to take on a black is beautiful dark lager initiative to put out into the world <laughs> man um i probably wouldn't be the person for that i know live oak produced oh. uh, an amazing black is beautiful dark lager out of austin um so maybe oh, we nice. can get them to share that recipe yeah 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 okay well i think we should take a moment to talk about food as well especially since you are a james beard semi-finalist and tell us, is that in reference to your to your bar, uh, to your restaurant and food service, to all the above? How did James Beard happen? <laughs> I have no idea how it happened. Um, that, <laughs> was definitely a, that was definitely a surprise. And it's not like they like alert you, right? But I think it's more so yeah. to a testament, one, of uh, the community support that we do, um, the things that we care about here wanting to give back, um, wanting to build something for the future of beer, wanting to build something, um, you know, for for future individuals that look like myself, doing things for future women that want to get into craft beer um, and that type of effect. Uh, it was the food at one point. Uh, we did just switch out our kitchen. But at one point, we were the number one beer barbecue pairing in the state of Texas for Texas Monthly. Oh, um, wow. There's and a lot so, of competition there, too. So that speaks volumes. That's yeah. Huge. So uh, we definitely had that accolade going for us. Um, I'm on the, the San Antonio visit, uh, San Antonio Restaurant Committee and provide support for the San Antonio community and things like that. Um, plus, I have awesome bar staff. Um, you know, they try to do their best to take care of our, our customers. Um, you know, we just had a sensory class today to work on off flavors and uh, some sensory of our beers and, and that type of thing for them taking on the educational front to be better employees, to be better for the, for the customers, um, are all definitely a testament as to the, um, nomination for sure. Uh, was it a huge surprise? Yes, very much so. But again, it was definitely something that I've always wanted per se. But then now I get now. So it, it's funny because my sister, uh, she teaches uh, mental resilience for the military, but then she also does it oh. for athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, professional athletes, and that type of stuff. And so we were having a conversation one day, and I was telling her how I'm never satisfied. And she was like, well, that's because you haven't quantized your goals, right? What is your main goal? Mm -hmm. And I told her, the James Beard nominee, this conversation probably 60 days ago. And I told her, this is a James no Beard nomination. Yeah, I told her, this is a James Beard nomination. That's my ultimate goal as far as what I want in beer. Well, then that's what you need and, to work for. And now I've reached why? it, and I'm not satisfied. I'm, <laughs> I need, and you quantified I it. More. You're yeah, still like, not satisfied. And I, I have to do more. Like There's more for me to do. These nominations come. 
Now, okay, I need to win. Now, once I win, like, now I need to keep building this program, building my staff up, um, you know, building the food program. Uh, For the Charlotte location, one of the things that I wanted to do was build that upper echelon of food. And so we brought in a four times James Beard nominee uh, and Chef Gregory Collier. Uh, Leia Louise, his his, uh, main restaurant has been nominated a few times in Charlotte. They were named the best restaurant in North Carolina. Uh, They have one of the best top 50 dishes of the year uh, in the nation. Um, But he's a four times James Beard nominee as well. So to have him come in and curate our food, to have that upper echelon of food within that Charlotte community was definitely something that I wanted to look at. Now, that's not what our nomination was for, but it's been something that I've always had in the back of my mind that I've wanted to build on as far as our brand goes. Um, one of the things that I've talked about recently, um, which some people gravitated towards it, some people really didn't like the conversation. Uh, but one of the things that I've always wanted to gear towards is beer's always been that third tier alcohol item, right? Uh, when you look at quality products and how, how people perceive alcohol, it's always wine, um, liquor being the upper echelons and then beer being that third tier. Um, but you look at, like I said earlier, some of the things that go into the quality of beer. We just had a beer ate for 22 months in a Pappy Van Winkle barrel. How many breweries are actually even able to go ahead and even, one, source that barrel, but then how many breweries are actually taking that amount of time to build the nuances of flavors that go into that particular beer, with that beer being in that barrel yeah. for that long? That that beer took two days to produce in the sense that it was a double mash and a 26-hour boil, and then it went and sat for 22 months in a barrel undisturbed, and just the quality of the ingredients that went into it to produce it. Um, you look at those aspects of when it comes to beer and, and things like that. But when you get into those type of things, um, you have to realize that there could be a situation to where beer can always be more. Sure. Right. Um, we put ourselves in a bubble because you want beer to be affordable. You want beer to be for the masses. You want beer to be for everybody, which is 100% true. But it doesn't mean that beer also can't be one of those upper echelons of beverages that people enjoy like the upper echelon beers, like the upper echelon wines, like the upper echelon spirits. So, you know, those qualities, yeah, those qualities of beers are out there. And it's just a matter of how you market to the consumer, how you market to people that aren't necessarily into beer to have them realize that there are things out there that are of the upper echelon of quality, of the upper echelon of standard and stuff like that, even in the beer world. So much agreed. And this is part of why I wanted to, start a show about lager because I think lager, maybe Pilsner in particular, it's a very refined, very elegant beverage. And that was lost after prohibition and it's been a slow climb back, but it is a sight to behold and an experience to savor when you have a properly poured lager just shimmering at your table with any plate of food. And I think it can hold its own. I think it holds its own against fine wine, liquor, what have you. you spoke to beer and barbecue pairing, uh, which I think, uh, like I said, there's a lot of competition. So it takes a lot to, to, t- to take that claim in Texas. But uh, what kind of food do you like to pair with lager? Do you typically give it to barbecue or are there any other standouts? Yeah, um, I would definitely say barbecue is one of those things that pair very well. Uh, my favorite meal to drink with a lager is fried chicken, collard greens and mac and cheese. So that old school soul food, 
type of vibe uh, is always what I'm going to gear towards. And typically for something like that, I'm going to have our Hellas in the refrigerator or our German Pilsner. Um, 100% to drink with that. But just That's having delicious. that, yeah, having those savory, uh, salty, um, you know, type of full meals and then having the counter pairing of having something light, refreshing to be able to cut some of the grease, cut some of the salinity, cut some of those flavors in um, are definitely useful. So typically for my lagers, I like them with my soul food, actually. It works like scrubbing bubbles, right? And just prepares right. you for the next bite. Exactly. Um so let's say it's let's say it's your last meal. Let's say you're in the upside down and it's your last meal. What do you eat? What do you drink? Is it soul food and pills or Hellas? Um, this doesn't have to be beer. It can be anything, but it's your last meal. What do you eat and what do you pair with it? If it was my last meal, it is going to be a two-inch thick prime cut ribeye with a baked potato and probably a side of some garlic sauteed broccoli and a pour of 2016 George P. Stag. Really? What a simple, elegant, refined, and delicious choice. Damn. Um, I think that last meal is very well deserved. I've grown to be a huge uh, steak fan. So we mm -hmm. actually give our grain to a local black farmer, actually, who produces Black Angus. And they sell their meat to uh, other stores, butchers, and et cetera. Their meat is amazing. So for the amount of grain that we give them within a year, we get a cow with them. Okay. And so I've grown to enjoy the quality of fine beef over the course of the last few years. I can't even buy store-bought beef anymore because it just doesn't taste the same. Uh, um, but just learning how to produce a great quality steak um, was something that I've always admired. Plus, I cook. Um, so even outside of beer, I cook at home. Um, that's something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy cooking at home, producing new meals, diving into cookbooks, um, trying to make different pairings and stuff like that. Um, that's all things that I really do yeah. enjoy. Well, before we wrap this up, and it's been a very inspiring conversation, Marcus, do you have anything you want to say to, to new beer drinkers out there, to regular beer drinkers out there? And can you tell us both how we follow you and how we see what's next for Weathered Souls Brewing Company? So new beer drinkers, um, and I tell this to people that come into the brewery all the time, um, don't ever say you don't like something. Say you haven't grown to appreciate it yet because it's not necessarily that you don't like that style. It's not necessarily that you don't like that particular hop. It's not necessarily that you don't like that particular yeast variant or malt. It's just you haven't found something within that profile range that you've enjoyed yet. So even for me, uh, dealing with one of the things being a huge bourbon whiskey fan, I haven't got into like smoke malt, single malt, things like that. But I don't say that I don't like smoke malt or I don't like um, scotch. I just say I haven't grown to appreciate it yet. Because you never know what you're going to find that you're really going to enjoy. For sure. Uh, but for the everyday drinkers that are always drinkers, um, I will say uh, support local. Uh, support your local breweries. It is definitely a tough time for everybody out there. Uh, so the more support that everybody provides to their local brands or local breweries, 
Um, it's definitely going to be appreciated from everybody, and it's going to only build to the longevity of craft beer. Um, you definitely don't want to see your local brands falter. Um, so support local. And obviously, to follow me, it's going to be uh, my hashtag is Marcus underscore Weather Souls Brewing on Instagram. Uh, you can follow Weather Souls SATX on Instagram. Weather Soul CLT for the Charlotte location. A lot of fun things happening for us. Um, a lot of the things I can't necessarily talk about yet as they're in motion, uh, but definitely look out for some fun announcements uh, coming up within the next couple of months. Um, hopefully, maybe a new location might pop up some point wow. um, or some other little fun things that we have going on. I love it. We will stay tuned. Marcus, for me personally, it's just been good to hear about more what's happening in in beer in Texas, the community there. You mentioned Live Oak in Austin. You mentioned Doom Forage Day at Jester King. I'm so glad to hear that Texas is on the up and up with regards to craft beer. But also for those who see you, for those who see your work and see what you're doing and see Black is Beautiful, can you just give us a sense of you know, how many Black-owned, how many Black-led breweries there are out there? How can people participate? How can people collaborate? How can they get more involved? Yeah, I mean, there's not many of us. Um, I know in the state of Texas, there might be three now. There's a couple that are opening uh, nationwide. I want to say it's less than 80 for sure. Um, it's still less than that, like, 2 1% range. Um, so definitely the ways to support are um, collaborating, contributing, uh, supporting those local Black-owned brands. Um, obviously there's the programs like the Michael J. Jackson Foundation that Garrett Oliver's putting on. Uh, there's the Harriet Baskerville incubation program that we're putting on and all of these uh, different programs, uh, that are able to contribute and build, uh, further ownership, further, um, black representation in beer. So supporting those organizations, supporting those nonprofits, uh, monetary support is always appreciated. Um, those are the things that are definitely going to drive differences within beer. Uh, but realizing that the main component is beer is for everyone is what's going to definitely uh, drive things to be better for sure. Exceptional. Marcus, I am going to say thank you so very much. Thank you to Weathered Souls Brewing Company. Thank you to our producer, Jeremy Batchelor. If you like what you heard, subscribe and follow No Life Till Lager. Help us hit the road and make a better kind of beer show. Help me get back to Texas. And until then, I will say very good night and good lager. Cheers. Marcus, thank you. Cheers. No! <laughs>